Lord God, thank you so much for this morning. And already you're moving, God. Already your spirit is here. And Lord, as you've opened up our hearts to you, God, we want to we want to be open to what you want to say to us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would give us a word straight from you through your word, God, for each one of us. I pray no one would leave here without being spoken to by your spirit. Lord, I pray for your anointing, God, that you would give us those ears to hear what the spirit is saying. So I pray you bless your word, bless this study, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, yeah, thinking about uh, technology marching on, I came across this uh, little article or little, little, little uh, writing where uh, this family was on vacation and they were staying at this old hotel when their six-year-old girl pointed to this old phone and asked their parents, what's that? Uh, it's interesting. It made me think about how some things are outdated in our time we live now. For example, with that old phone, right? People used to use the phrase, dial the number. Well, what's a dial, right? Or hang up the phone. What does that mean? You know, usually we say, well, end the call. How about this one? Tape the show, right? What's that? Taping? We, we put a show on our, t a tape on our TV or something like that, right? Or how about this? Um, this is really old. You sound like a broken record, right? I remember the kids, Ma, Dad, what, what's a record? You know, it's like, oh, it's a giant CD, you know, from back then. Or how about this one? Turn it clockwise, right? Well, today, there's most people have digital clocks or digital watches. It's like, what does clockwise mean? And many of our young don't even know how to tell time on a dial clock. Well, there's phrases and things that are outdated, but sadly, there's another thing that is slowly turning obsolete, and that is the word holiness. In a Barna report years ago, a survey showed that one in five adults had no idea what holiness meant. Now, there were different opinions of what they meant on the rest of the group, but what is really shocking is only 35% of churchgoers now that were polled believe that God actually wants you to be holy. Now think about that for a moment. Out of all the believers or people who say they go to church, two-thirds of that group have no interest, no concern, no desire to really live holy before God. Interesting, isn't it? It seems in our world today, the idea of living a godly life seems to be fading away into this dark world. What happened to being mindful of what Peter wrote? And he said in 1 Peter 1.15 and verse 16, he said, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Well, as we continue our study here in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul makes an appeal now to the Corinthian believers to get back to that place where holiness matters. And that's the title of our message today. Holiness matters. We're going to be studying 2 Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 11 through 18. We're going to finish this chapter and then cross over and, and take verse 1. I believe it's all one group. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 11 through 18 and chapter 7 verse 1. Now, our outline this morning is this. Holiest Matters is the title, and our outline is, number one, be soft-hearted. Number two, be sensible. Number three, be separate. And number four, be serious. So let's begin here. Holiness Matters, number one in our outline, be soft-hearted. Number one, be soft-hearted. Take a look with me here now. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. It reads here, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. We're going to stop right there. Now, we begin here with the Apostle Paul making this heartfelt cry to the believers in the Corinthian church. And he says this by saying, O Corinthians. He names them right here. He's saying, oh, you can just hear his heart just going out there. And he says we, or we can say Paul, 
has spoken openly. He says, we, we've been really open and honest with you. We haven't held anything back. We've been totally bearing our heart before you. And then he says that his heart is wide open. In other words, his heart is open in love to them. And this is, you get this feel of what he's feeling. So with all his heart, Paul has been real and open in everything he has been sharing with the Corinthians. You know, I think about it, it was like what he said back in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, if you remember. He wrote there, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know. And then he said this, the love which I have so abundantly for you. Well, then look at verse 12. Then Paul adds, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Verse 13, he says, Now in return for the same I speak as to children, you also be open. So Paul's saying, look, you guys, you have not restricted us. In other words, you have never lacked any love, any affection that we, I have given you guys. But you guys have restricted what I'm trying to give you. You guys have held back your affections from toward me. And now Paul says with that, in return though, in other words, in response to my love, he's saying be open. Open up your hearts. Hear what I'm trying to say and give to you. And he says, I speak as children. In other words, open up your hearts as, as like you do to loving parents. Paul's like, look, I've opened my heart toward you, so open your heart toward me. Now, Paul, we have seen, has been sharing on these last two sections we saw last week and, and the time before, right? We, Paul's been talking about and covering the importance of people reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember we first saw in the title of our message was Ambassadors for Christ. And that was back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 21. And then after that, which we saw last week, was the title of our message, For, for God and His Kingdom, which was the first part of chapter 6. So in all of this, Paul has been burying his heart. He's been reaching out. He's been saying these things, trying to get these guys to really understand that they are witnesses and lights in this world, that they are ambassadors for Christ. And even though Paul's gone through a lot of trouble and hardship and suffering, you know what, for, for God in his kingdom, he's going to keep doing that. So he's been open and honest about even what he's been going through. So now here Paul asks, the Corinthian believers to have an open heart to what he's about to say. An open heart in the rest of our section here that, you know what, holiness really matters. And if we connect it to being ambassadors of Christ, holiness matters to be a good witness for Jesus Christ. But as he mentioned here, the Corinthians, they've been cold toward Paul. They've been, you know, the problem really has been, and we've talked about this, they've been listening to the false teachers, right? They've been listening to all the accusations that were put upon Paul and about him attacking his character and his integrity and his credibility. They've been poisoned, in a sense, in their heart, in their affection toward Paul, and that has really even resulted in a corruption of their morals. So Paul's like, hey, be soft-hearted toward me. That's what he's saying. And here's our, our, our point here. Paul pleads with the Corinthians to be open to what he is going to tell them. Paul, he pleads with the Corinthians to be open to what he's going to tell them. We're going to be taking a look at that in a moment. You know, the other day I uh, walked into the kitchen a little heavy-footed, it was just a couple days ago, and, and I, I was making noise, you know, I don't know, I was just kind of walking, I think I was in a rush, and I was kind of like boom, boom, into the, the kitchen, and it, it, and it sort of made that boomy noise on our wood floors. Well, I didn't know, but our cat, Moki, was on the floor lying down there, and when I came walking in, kind of heavy-footed, he got so scared, he, he just ran away, ran, ran totally away, and, and you know, Moki, our cat, is a scaredy cat anyway. 
you know, he, anything will, he'll just, you know. So you look at him there, you go, ah, and then he'll run upstairs. Well, I didn't mean to scare him like that. So I went down the hall to where he was, and, and I called his name real nicely. And this time, I mean, I realized I kind of walk heavy-footed, so I, so I walked really light-footed, and I called his name. Hey, Moki Moki. And this time, he didn't run. This time, he just laid there, and I was able to pet him, say, please, see, I'm not going to kill you, you know, kind of thing, right? Well, here's Paul. Paul approached now his talk with the Corinthians, with a soft heart, so they would be soft-hearted also toward him. He didn't come in some harsh or full-on hot emotion, but really showing his love toward them. Paul pleads with the Corinthians here to be open to what he's going to tell them, and he comes with a lot of love here. How do you approach your situation? How do you approach your quote-unquote talks that you have with someone or maybe your family or kids? Are you too rough? Be careful. Sometimes, I, I know this for myself, sometimes what I think is okay, like, no, I'm going to come in and be real nice, you know. But you can hear the tone of my voice. I'm not. I'm not. It, it, it's received and, 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 and taken in a different way, and I'm really not, and you still feel, the people still feel that emotion. Be careful. But I'll tell you what, when people know you really love them and really care about them, and that is really in the heart, they're going to hear it, and they're more apt to listen. Hey, a holy approach, it's much better to have a soft heart there and also as he's trying to appeal to the, the corinthians here to have a soft heart in what someone or the lord may have to say to you well let's move on here now number two be sensible be sensible we've seen number one be soft-hearted holiness matters now we go on to the next verse number two be sensible take a look with me here second corinthians chapter six Verse 14, Paul now says this, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And we'll, we're going to stop right there. Now, this is what Paul needed to tell them. This was straightforward. This is, this is confronting them of sin, confronting them of an issue going on in their life. So you can see at first he's saying, hey, you know, I, I love you guys. I care for you. Please be open to what I'm going to say. So straight away, he says, do not be unequally yoked. Now, the word yoke talks about harnessing two animals to pull the plow, right? They're yoked together. Paul is saying that believers are not to be yoked, to be partnered with unbelievers, He's pretty straight and clear here. Paul clearly says believers are not to be basically closely joined together with an unbeliever. Now, his thought probably goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 10. Moses was, was giving the, the commandments, the laws, and given uh, by the Lord. And he told them, hey, you're not to yoke together and plow. He says in, in Deuteronomy 22.10, you're not to yoke an ox and a donkey together. And it, it makes sense, right? I mean, this is like, hey, well, yeah, you know, an ox is huge, a donkey is little, right? Why aren't you supposed to do that? Well, we understand they're different sizes. You know, they're, one's going to pull to one way or the other. There are different natures, different temperaments, and it just doesn't work. I mean, could you ima imagine pulling, putting, yoking two of them together? Your plow lines are going to go, you know, all crooked-like. Well, this is what Paul is putting forth. Yeah. Hey, do not be unequally yoked together, a believer with unbelievers. Now, as we move on into the rest of verse 14, Paul's going to uh, put forth five rhetorical questions to really make this clear in the minds of the Corinthians. And, and, th and there's going to be five things we're going to see here in the rest of this section. Now look at verse 14. First he puts this out. He says, For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And so number one, this is his first rhetorical question. Can obedience and disobedience be partners? 
can obedience and disobedience be partners? Paul like says, you know, how can righteousness, which speaks of obeying God's word, his laws and all, be in fellowship? Now, the word fellowship really means partnership with lawlessness. Now, lawlessness is talking about not following God's word, being lawless without, you know, following in a rebellion against God's word. Well, how can that be, right? They fight against each other. So obedience and disobedience actually what? Oppose each other. So can obedience and disobedience be partners? No, they can't. They oppose each other. I was reading about, you know, in Japan and China, I think, and Germany now too. They have some trains, some technology they have developed where the, uh, they call it uh, maglev where the trains don't have wheels, they actually levitate, right, by using two, like a magnet on the train, a magnet on the track, and because of the opposing forces of the magnets, the train actually floats like two, three inches right above the ground, and that's how the, how the train moves. Maglev, that's the technology that they call. And so it doesn't come together. They oppose them, them, you know, the train and the track in that way. Well, so is disobedience and obedience. It's like trying to put those two opposing forces of a magnet together. You can't. Paul's like, can obedience and disobedience be partners? No way. They can't not come together. You know, this makes me think about, and look at it this way. How can you be in a business partnership, right, if one is okay doing some maybe shady kind of things, and then you as a Christian, you cannot because of the principles you live by uh, in the Word of God. You cannot. So you can see even in this, we can apply it to business partnerships. You cannot. You cannot, uh, they may want to do something, and then you don't know, we cannot do that. That's not right before God, but they don't care. They don't care that they don't follow the principles and laws of the Lord, but you do. And that was a poor opposing principles there. You cannot be partners and do business well in that way. Well, then Paul goes on to a second thing. Look at verse 14. The last part, he says, And what communion has light with darkness? So number two, Paul's saying this, can holiness and wickedness be joined together? That's the second rhetorical question. Can holiness and wickedness be joined together? Paul's saying, how can light now, light refers to the truth of God and his holiness here. And then he says, how can, how can light be in communion? Now this word in the Greek is the word koinonia. And it means sharing things uh, 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 together or, or linking together. So he's like, how can light be like joined and linked together with darkness? Darkness refers to wickedness and evil. So you understand, right? Light, light and darkness, they have different standards, so to speak. Kind of like what we talk about businesses and business partners, right? Light and darkness hold to different standards so they can't be linked together. Can holiness and wickedness really be joined together? Frank Gabriel in his commentary warned, do not form any relationship, whether temporary or permanent, with unbelievers that would lead to a compromise of Christian standards or, or jeopardize consistency of Christian witness, he throws in there, ambassadors of Christ. Then he says, and why such separation? Because the unbeliever does not share the Christian standards sympathies or goals i think that was very clear and well said so the rhetorical question can holiness and wickedness be joined together no right there's no way all right well he puts forth the third rhetorical question here verse 15 and what accord has christ with belial so number three is this can jesus be in alliance with satan and of course we're going to say what why even say that? No, no, of course not, right? So Paul says, what kind of accord, that word means like alliance, right? Can Christ, this is our Lord and Savior, really have with Belial? And who's Belial? Well, that's Satan. 
which is Belial's an ancient name for him. It literally means worthless one or lawless one. So they can never work together, right? Jesus will not conform to Satan's ways, nor will he to his. Can Jesus be in alliance with Satan? No, no, not at all. That's why Paul wrote back in Romans 12, verse 2, he says, and do not be conformed to this world. Why? Because this world is what? Satan's domain, right? So don't be conformed to what's going on there. No, be conformed to Christ, yeah? Be, be conformed to his image. Later he talks, or he, uh, what was it? Yeah, uh, earlier he talked about in Romans 8, 29, right? So can Jesus be in alliance with Satan? No, no. Then he goes on in, in verse 15 in the second part. He says, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? So number four, the fourth rhetorical question is this. Can a believer be on the same page with a believer? Paul says, what part? The word part means to share a portion together. In other words, like when you're eating, like, like sometimes, you know, we go to a restaurant, like, you know, if you go to the kitchen, yeah, Oh, the, the, the portions are giant. So my wife and I will share a portion together. So Paul's like, hey, how, how can you share a portion together with the unbeliever? In other words, the idea is the spiritual moral basis for a believer is different from the unbeliever's base. We live for different things. Believers and unbelievers hold to a different outlook. So can a believer be on the same page with the unbeliever? No, no, not at all. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. Take note here that it doesn't mean we are not to have any contact with unbelievers. It doesn't mean that, well, that means you can't work with unbelievers. No, we are still what? What, we, what, what did he say in chapter 5? We are still ambassadors for Jesus Christ, reaching out to this world with the love of God. So, so of course it's not that. It's not uh, about, you know, having contact, but it is about having a contract, a closeness, uh, 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 getting uh, joined together in union with an unbeliever. And I want you to look at this in the context of marriage, right? That's the uh, application here, too. You cannot be one with an unbeliever, right? When you get married, we are to be one. It doesn't work in that way. So if you were to want to get married to an unbeliever, I tell you straight right now, it's not good. It's not God's plan. It's not what you should be doing because God's plan is that a believer and a believer, when you see your clearly, should be getting together. But a believer and unbeliever, no, you cannot be married to an unbeliever. You cannot get married to an unbeliever. I mean, later on, it creates so many problems. I tell my kids this too. I go, hey, you only can, you know, date and see a, a believer because I have counseled so many wives, so many even husbands have been married to an unbeliever and they go through so much because you're not on the same page you want to go to church you want to serve in the lord you want to give your time no you're coming with me no you're not going to do that now if you're looking to get married don't be unequally yoked paul's very clear here but let me say this if you are already married to an unbeliever maybe you made that mistake or maybe you got saved after you were married, but your spouse is an unbeliever still, do not get divorced. That's not what Paul is saying. And we covered all of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you missed it, grab the CD. We covered that whole chapter about singleness and marriage and being, being uh, married to an unbeliever. All right. Paul is trying to make some logical sense here, right? He's, he, he's like presenting to the Corinthians, let's be sensible about not being yoked with unbelievers. Now, number one, can obedience and disobedience be partners? What's the answer? No. Can holiness and wickedness be joined as one? No. Can Jesus be in alliance with Satan? No. 
Can a believer be on the same page with an unbeliever? No. And then we come to number five. The fifth rhetorical question is, can the temple of God house an idol? Look at verse 16. Paul writes, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Well, Paul's right there. Paul says, what agreement or, or what joint decision, right? Uh, the New Living Translation puts this as what union even. So how can the temple of God be in union with idols? There's no way, right? There's only one true God. And those of you who've been with us in the star studies in Jeremiah and now Lamentation, we've seen Israel's problem that they went after idols. They abandoned the one true God and went after the idols in the world. Now, that's what happened to them, and that's why the Babylonian captivity and, and the end of the nation came to them. So Paul's like, hey, how can that be? Can the temple of God even house an idol? And that's what I picture here. Can the temple of God house an idol? Meaning, can they be joined together? He says, think about it now. And he adds this in verse 16. He says, for you, or really a better translation in the original language is like, we, or, or you guys... You guys are, are the temple of the living God. See, we have God, the Holy Spirit, living in us after we come to Christ, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 19. He, God, the Holy Spirit, is living inside us. So Paul's like, why would you yoke together with an idol? The temple of God and idols don't go together. Now, understand this. As Paul is saying this last rhetorical question, I believe he's, he, he has in mind how these false teachers have come into the church. They brought their false doctrine. They're leading the Corinthians astray to other idols of doctrine and theology away from Christ. In a real sense, this idol, this belief is being set up right there in the church. And he's saying, if you believe these things, if you embrace these things, if you embrace these false teachers who, who are unbelievers and bringing this stuff into them, how can you do that? How can you have the temple and uh, God and idols together? They're, they're, they can't be together. The idol can't be in the house. If you are the temple of God even and you put an idol in your heart, then you put an idol in God's temple. So you see, it doesn't make sense. Right? So here's Paul's point. He's saying, look, be sensible, you guys. There's no logic to being yoked together with unbelievers. There's no logic to being yoked together with unbelievers. It doesn't work. The good and the bad, it, it doesn't come together. Matter of fact, really bad happens right the worst happens usually when you yoke together with your partner with another unbeliever if you hang out yeah with right and you get close to them what happens they will influence you more than you them right he said and paul said in first corinthians 15 33 do not be deceived bad company ruins good morals I was thinking about, you know, when you take the, the positive lead of, a, say, a car battery and the negative lead of, of the car battery and you touch them together, what's going to happen? It's going to spark. It's going to heat up. You can start a fire because of the short circuit. So why would you do that? Why would you put that together? It doesn't work. Are you yoked together with those that you shouldn't be? Paul is being straight here. God is speaking to all of us here today. Let me ask you this. Let me come at it this way. Have you been struggling with your walk? Perhaps that's the reason why. Because bad company ruins good mor morals. Watch your alliances. Watch your partnerships. Watch how your closeness to those who really don't share the same goals, the spiritual goals, and the principles that are in God's Word. Watch out. Because holiness matters, you guys. 
I read about this new believer who wanted to draw that line between God and his old life. And in this new commitment to the Lord, he put this on his outgoing message on his phone. It, it said, when you called it, you heard this. I'm sorry I missed your call, but I thank you for caring enough to call. I want you to know I am making some changes in my life. Please leave a message after the beep. If I do not return your call, you are one of the changes. <laughs> I like that. Holiness matters. Well, let's move on to number three. Be separated. Be separated. Number one, we see be soft-hearted. Number two, be sensible. And now number three, be separated. Second Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to go on in verse 16, the second part. Paul writes, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, verse 17, Paul quotes uh, again a scripture. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. All right, here, first in uh, the second part of verse 16, Paul quotes actually Ezekiel 37, 27. And so we see God's desire now. This is God's heart, right? He desires that he wants to live in us, right? He wants to walk among us. He wants to be our God, and, and he wants us to be his people. And that's what he was telling Israel here in Ezekiel. And we know that that is now possible that now we have that for those who have been saved in Jesus Christ. That's what we have. God is in us, the Holy Spirit. God is walking with us and as we have our relationship with Him. And you know, He's our God and we, we are His people. Therefore, Paul writes, and, and he says, since this is what God desires and, and has done for us, then Paul now, he qu actually quotes Isaiah 52, 17. He says, therefore then, you're, you're God's people, God is in you, then you know what, come out from among them and be separate. What is that? Be separate from the world. Be separate from the unbelievers. Be separate and come out and live and be who you are, basically, in Jesus Christ. So God desires those he saved and indwells to come out and be separate from the world. You know, my mind goes to remember when God called Abraham in Genesis 12.1. And basically he told Abraham, get out of your country. Get out of your homeland. Leave that place where you grew up, where you've been, and go to this new land. Live in this new land. Head out there where I'm going to make a nation out of your descendants. And that's, a, that's what the Lord called out to Abraham and promised him in Genesis 12.1. I also thought about the comment that was made upon Israel when, 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 when the, the world or the Gentiles and I believe it was uh, the Midianites or, or anyway, they, they were um, looking at Israel and they made a comment and said, hey, these guys have come out of Egypt in Numbers 22.1. And you know Egypt, right? We look at it as a symbol of the world. And so like Israel came, God brought Israel out of Egypt, right, to the promised land. This is what God is calling us, and Paul is saying we are to come out and be separate from the world and those worldly things. Well, he goes on in this verse, and he says, and to be separate means you are not to what? Touch what is unclean. Those things that can defile you. Those things that can taint you and, and can blemish you, then really that can keep you from the Lord. And then that's why Paul writes here, God will receive you if you come out, if you separate and not touch those things that is unclean, God will receive you or welcome you. The idea is you separate yourself and keep yourself from the world and the flesh. God welcomes you into a close fellowship with him. But if you don't separate, then you will not enjoy that closeness. And why is that? Why is that? Because God is a holy God, right? We understand that. I, I uh, quoted that verse in First Peter. Be holy as I am holy. 
the Lord said, right? But here's the thing. Through Jesus Christ and his blood that cleanses us of our sin, we're forgiven. And then remember we talked about his righteousness is put upon us so that now it's possible to have a relationship with God. It's possible that we can boldly go into his throne in a, in a time of need and get help, Hebrews talks about, right? So it's possible to be with the holy God. But I'll tell you, sin will break that bond and that relationship. And if it happens, we have the provision of Christ. It's not an excuse to go out and sin, but we know 1 John 1, 9, that we can come to Christ anytime and confess our sins, and he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the idea here really is, why do that? Why touch the unclean things be separated and stay close to god or you know what be unclean and be separated from god david Lowry in his commentary simply said enjoying god's presence requires personal holiness it's important it's not just like oh well and it's not this like well i gotta be accepted you know with god and so i better do the you know toe the line here no already were accepted through jesus christ but the idea is our relationship with the holy god that's why holiness matters look at verse 18 now he says a very special thing now paul writes i will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters says the lord almighty isn't this precious with this close connection with God, Paul has in mind, and he quotes 2 Samuel 7, 14 here. It's how God will be a father to you, that, that, that he wants that closeness, and that we are going to be his children, or we are his children in Christ. How the Lord God Almighty calls us sons and daughters. Isn't that amazing? This is mind-blowing to me. The miracle of salvation is that we no longer belong to this world, but you know what? We belong to God now. We belong to the Lord God. John wrote in John chapter 1 verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Isn't that unreal? I mean, this is like Wow, Lord, that you would consider me part of your family, that I would have that kind of relationship, the Heavenly Father with his kids, right? That I would have that closeness with the Heavenly Father in that way. Oh, Paul just lays out for us another reason for us to be separated, right? God loves us. God cares for us. God wants a relationship. Paul's saying be separated. Why? Well, it comes to this point here, and this is our point. God calls all believers to live as the children of the holy God. Holiness matters because God calls all believers, you and I today, to live as the children of the holy God. Two brothers, Ken and Ryan, fought as much as any brothers, and once in a while, things got out of hand and went too far. One time, Ryan was, got in this fight uh, uh, with his brother and hit him square in the eye. Well, his brother let out a very loud cry, and when the mother found out, well, she was super upset. She stood between them and looked at Ryan and said these words, don't ever hurt my son again. Well, Ryan actually was taken back as he wrote about this. He never seen his mother that angry before. But you know what really bothered him was what she said. He thought in his mind, what do you mean, my son? I'm your son too. Well, it must be that with, because of his actions, Ryan wasn't behaving or living like he was part of the family. Is holiness important? to you it should be following god's principles is it for you maybe a give and take depending on uh, how you feel about it yeah your mood or or maybe maybe you know well i don't really like what the word says here so i'm gonna put sweep it under the carpet right but let me ask you is your actions and separations 
really show what family you're from. Something for all of us to really think about. Well, let's go on here, our last heading. Be serious. Be serious. Holiness matters. Number one, be soft-hearted. Number two, be sensible. And number three, be separated. And now number four, be serious. So now we cross over into chapter 7, verse 1. This is our last verse. Paul writes here, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Okay, Paul writes, therefore. Paul's saying, since we have these promises. Well, what promises? Well, the promises that we just talked about, that the loving Father will live in you, will be your God, will, you'll be his sons and daughters. Since we have these promises, since God loves us, since God wants us to be his sons and daughters and part of the family children of the Lord, he's saying, you guys, let's be serious. Serious about what? Well, about cleansing, cleanse, about uh, cleansing ourselves from all filthiness. And what is that? Sin, right? And anything wicked, anything evil, anything that really hinders holiness in our life. Now notice here, Paul writes all, the word all. Not just some of the things, you guys. Not just what we pick and choose. Not just, just well, what we feel like. Not just, well, this is too hard for me to do. No, God wants your obedience in those things. Not just, well, I'm not going to do those worldly things, so I'm okay. Well, how about attitudes in your heart? How about, how about things, thoughts in your minds that nobody sees? Yeah? Sometimes we think we're okay, but hey, we entertain some thoughts that shouldn't be there. Or how about God asking you, hey, I don't like that unforgiving spirit. You got to forgive. Yeah? You got to take care of that bitterness. Yeah? You got you to gotta, you gotta right any wrongs in that way. Paul's saying all things. The NLT says everything. And ESV translates this as every defilement. All means what? All, right? So anything of the flesh, he says. We need to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, which speaks of any physical sin. And, that, and that's like our actions and all. And then and spirit. That talks about what I mentioned, the inward thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So it's not just the surface cleaning here, but it's going underneath us, there to the depths of our heart and our soul. Since, this is what the idea here, since God wants close fellowship with you, it's time to really do a deep and spiritual cleaning. It's time for a deep cleaning, you guys. Ever had the, ever, you ever had the dental hygienist tell you, oh, it's bad. We got to really do a deep cleaning. Yeah, I have, and it hurts. It hurts really bad. And, and, and after that time, I, I, I try and do what I can to keep my teeth clean so I don't have to go through that again. Especially when I get the old Japanese, you know, hygienist who's like, dumb in there, you know, and it really gets deep in there, right? Know that being serious about holiness, yeah, it can hurt. Yeah. It can be hard to deal with these things, but I'll tell you what, it's well worth it. So then Paul goes on here. He said, so cleansing yourself is all about perfecting holiness. The word perfecting means to fulfill. It means to reach, go after that goal that God has given us toward holiness. Now, understand, Paul's not saying that we can be perfectly sinless, that we can be perfectly holy. It's not about that. It's not about, uh, I mean, we cannot do that until we get into heaven. But what it's about is about pursuing holiness. It's about uh, uh, being, doing everything we can to seek after godliness in our lives. And that's why holiness matters. That's why Paul's saying be serious in all of this. And then lastly, he says, in the fear of God in verse 1 here. We do this to respect our Lord God, to honor Him, right? 
we do the best we can. We go deep. We, we, we be obedient to the things he wants us to work on and not put it up, sweep it under the rug, but be real with God. Why? Because this is for you, Lord. Anything you want, anything you want me to be, anything you want me to do, here I am, God, I'm surrendered, I'm going to do this. That's being serious. We want to honor God and respect His wishes, right? And His wishes is we, that we do everything we can, all that we can to grow in holiness. John MacArthur said, Complete or perfect holiness was embodied only in Christ. Thus, believers are to pursue him. And I love that. that. That's what it's about. You know? Changing our lives is going after Jesus. It's, it's about Jesus more in our lives. That's what it's about. It's about the Holy Spirit bringing more fruit in our lives. It's about us becoming more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. All right, well, our last point here, we come to this verse where Paul is saying, look, be serious and, and you know, remove any and every hindrance that keeps you from walking in holiness before your loving God. That's what he's saying. Be serious, you guys. Remove any and every hindrance that keeps you from walking in holiness before your loving God. I read this story from, by a pastor and commentator, Warren Wiersbe, and he told of a time he was in church, he was speaking at this church, and and uh, as he was sitting there, when the uh, worship leader announced uh, and had told everyone, we will stand and sing hymn number 325 called Take Time to Be Holy. And then the worship leader told everyone, we will sing verses 1 and verse 4 only. Well, when Wiersbe heard that, he wrote he had to, like, laugh uh, to himself. He thought, how can a Christian congregation sing? Take time to be holy and not even take the time to sing the entire song. I thought that was good. And then Wiersbe wrote this. If we can't take the time to sing a song about holiness, we're not likely to take time to devote ourselves to perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So true, isn't this? Paul here, the Lord is speaking out to us. He's saying, remove any and every hindrance that keeps you from walking in holiness before your loving God. God is calling us today, our church, you and I today, to be serious, to work on those things that you put aside, those things for years that have been left on the shelf, those things that, ah, I don't want to deal with that right now. Have you noticed that maybe your walk has plateaued? Maybe you haven't been growing like you have. Maybe you've been slipping backwards. God is calling us to be serious about cultivating holiness in our lives. Are you concerned at all? Are you concerned at all in what God wishes, what God desires in your life? Or have you been allowing these things that are only you, only keeping you from God, keeping you from getting close to the Lord? Know this today, church. Know this, that God loves you so much. He wants to be your God. He wants to have this close relationship with you. He wants to work in your life even more, but sin has separated you from Him. So get serious. Separate yourself from the things, those sins that so hinders that relationship with God who loves you so much. I'll close with this. In 1847, Ignaz Semmelweis introduced the practice now, he was a doctor, of washing the hands with chlorine lime solution before examining expectant mothers. Understand this. Back then, even in the best hospitals, one and in six young mothers died because of the doctor's daily routine of first performing autopsies and then going to meet and sit with expectant mothers without washing their hands. Crazy, right? This is a true story. Semmelweis was the first man in history to associate this with the death with the infection and the death. England, now the country of England, embraced the findings, yet Germany still was skeptical during his time. Once Semmelweis argued this way, he said, per 
uh, puerperal fever, which is, they called it childbed fever, is caused by decomposed material conveyed to a wound. Then he said, I have shown how it can be prevented. I have proved all that I have said. And then he goes, but while we talk, 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 gentlemen, women are dying. I'm not asking any, anything world-shaking. I am asking you only to wash. And he said, for God's sake, wash your hands. Do you hear the Lord crying out to us? Don't just talk, talk. Talk. Don't just say you can do it. We we gotta walk the walk. Not just talk the walk, right? And for God's sake, for him, for glory, to honor him. Let's change how we live our life before the Lord. God is calling you and I in love to repent. Will we hear his voice today? For he's saying, holiness matters let's pray lord i am deeply convicted god as i look into my own heart as i go deeper down within as i look at those things that i put aside or or put into the closet so to speak of my heart and not dealt with i am convicted of those things i have allowed to stay there lord focusing on other things and not that Focusing on thinking I'm okay and not that. Being lazy, Lord, and even apathetic about those things. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us all, Lord. That you would cleanse our hearts as we confess to you those things, Lord. If it's relationships, God. If it's uh, partnerships that shouldn't be there. If it's joining together or hanging out with those who are already influencing us. Lord, forgive us for for being uh, pulled away and led astray by the worldly things, God. The Lord, cleanse our hearts and help our eyes, Lord, not to look on those things but to desire you, Jesus, and more of you in our lives. Oh, Jesus, we need your strength and courage right now. We need you, Lord God. And Lord, by your great grace, Lord, let us remember, God, what you have done for us, Lord. Let us love you back as you have loved us, and let us, God, come into this loving relationship with you fully, Lord, not, not standing on the edges, Lord, but running to our shepherd and gr- just grabbing your leg, God, and not letting go. Help us, Lord, to be holy as you are holy. Lord, let us show you that it matters, God, that holiness matters. In Jesus' name, amen.